All right. Welcome to episode number eight of the PhD podcast. Uh, Jason and I are also thrilled to have uh, Mario Moini all the way from uh, the East Coast. So she's a third year PhD student over at Old Dominion University. Uh, Mario, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, Miriam. I'm really interested in the article you shared and also uh, your research that you're doing at Old Dominion. We had some conversations before we went live here and both of us have engineering backgrounds. So anyone who's who knows me knows I come from an engineering background and then applying it more into the human movement sciences. So I always, I always connect well with individuals who have similar backgrounds like myself, starting in engineering and then now moving more towards human movement sciences. So I, I'm excited for the conversation today. Thanks, me too. Yeah, Miriam, so you, you, we were talking off air, you bring a really a unique background. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your journey? Yeah, so my name is Mariam, <laughs> and I'm originally from Iran. Uh, I moved to Belgium uh, with my family when I was 17 years old, uh, where I started to learn Dutch. Uh, but watching loads of English TV shows at the same time. So while that was a bad choice and didn't help my Dutch at all, <laughs> it actually helped me to learn English pretty well. And uh, after getting confident with my English, I moved to the UK uh, to pursue a degree in biomedical engineering. And in 2015, I got my master's degree. And at the time, I was so sure that was the end of the academic growth for me. And for three years, all I did was uh, rescuing dogs without even thinking twice what to do with my degree. And then one day I had a family intervention when they had me talk with me. And that's when I started sending out applications. Uh, and after a quick search, I came to my senses that research is the best choice for me. Um, so um, I think all of us actually have that experience at some point that um, we say, okay, I'm done with this studying and we don't do it for a couple of months. And then we miss it so badly that all we want to do is a study. And we get into that loop and it never ends because, of course, research is extremely ongoing. Um, so this is how I ended up in Norfolk, Virginia two years ago. And uh, even though I am reaching the final goal, I still don't believe it. It's very hard to believe that I survived two years of no family, a new country. Yeah. But I had many great privileges and I have met so many amazing people that the journey definitely worthwhile. Yeah, and one of those amazing people is myself. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> Mar- Mariam and I met in uh, we we met at NASPSA two years ago, and then we also met at the nonlinear analysis workshop last yeah. year, which was which was a fun week for sure. Um, and so, Mariam, you sent us let's, a. Let's not go into details, <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was a it was a good week. Um, Mariam, you sent us a really cool article. Um, the article was titled uh, "The Tensegrity Trust." as a model for spine mechanics. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little about this article and how it pertains to your research interests? So my area of research, uh, my area of interest is human spine research. And I love its complex structure and I love the fact that we do not know a lot of things about the spine. Uh, there were other scientific and uh, research papers to share, but I decided to send you this one because it takes a very different approach and it tells a story while making its point. Of course, we need some solid evidence when it comes to research and its future use, but using simple facts uh, can help us reason and ask the questions and then turn those questions into our own investigation. Uh, so as you, as the name of the paper says that it's all about this fine, but um, if you want to ask me anything in more details, then I will tell you. But for now, let's say the way they use that paper in order to explain the biomechanics of this fine, it, it's the reason that I sent it to you. 
Can, yeah, no, yeah. can you elaborate just a little bit on what's the traditional way that we've modeled the spine versus how this paper models the spine? If you could just lay that out for people who are just unfamiliar with like spine biomechanics, what are, what are the, like the techniques that we, that we can use to model the spine? Sure. So, um, I mean, it, it has changed a lot. It's not that the way we use it or explain it these days is the exact same way as we, we use it like 100 years ago. But if you look at other body parts, uh, the progress has been much more in detail for other body parts than for the spine. Of course, because it, it's too complicated. So the way like the old days looked at it or old, or old researchers is the fact that the spine is one solid column. So it does not have any... Uh, joint, it does, it's just one truss, as they said. Mm-hmm. And the way these people try to explain it is uh, coming from an approach that it is, of course, a moving body, which is common sense, it makes a lot of sense. And then they try to uh, get involved in the explanation as many details as possible. So, not just the bone, not just the disc, but also the like any muscle that's involved or any fascia or any soft or hard tissue. That's how they try to explain it. So how are you right now with your current work? How are, I know we talked a little bit about this off air, but how are you modeling the spine? You know, we talked about some of the softwares and technologies. Could you just elaborate a little bit on like how you're doing it specifically? So um, I mean, looking at my background, what I did for my master's degree, I, uh, I was, of course, very much interested in the biomechanics of the spine. But since it was an engineering degree, as you said, I came up with a solution for people that undergo surgery and some part of their spine is removed and then uh, it is uh, replaced with a solid implant. So the motion of that part is gone. So I tried to design an implant that provides the motion. And that's when I learned more and more how, how detailed that motion is. I mean, it's not just about rotation or uh, flexion extension. There are also a lot of linear motion and translations that are going in the spine due to structure. So uh, I took that experience. And right now, I am not really designing a spine. I am using models that already exist, what we call a generic model. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to understand those motions and biomechanics of the spine in a human body using those generic models. I think this uh, goes right along uh, the next question as uh, the article hits a lot on being a nonlinear biological system. Uh, and so first, what, what does being a nonlinear biological system mean to you? And then how does it affect your thinking when designing your research questions such as, uh, you know, regarding the spine? Yeah. So uh, to me, a nonlinear biological system simply means a very unpredictable system full of irregularities with the aim of facilitating its action and yet getting the best result. So let me give you a very simple example. If you're drinking tea and the tea, the cup is hot, what we do is that we usually put the cup on a surface and then pick it up every time we want to take a sip. Although in general, if someone look at us from the outside, we are doing this exact same motion every time. Uh, but we will do serving in something different in details in order to, it, which is not noticeable most of the time. But we do that like without being aware of it because uh, um, we want to affect the different aspects. For example, we want the action to be um, to lower the cost of the energy or the energy that we are using. 
Um, this could be applied to every action and every body part. For example, when we are picking up a heavy box and using the spine, we come up with a solution without being aware of it to save energy, to save our back. And that's what a nonlinear system means to me. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's great, yeah. I mean, Arjeev and I, I mean, <laughs> Arjeev and I have been roommates for the past two years, and I always hear him talking about like movement strategies and solutions and yeah. you know, nonlinear type of analysis. And you guys both did the, the UNO uh, seminar last summer, I believe. So you guys are familiar with some of their uh, like quantitative analyses. So it's always interesting to hear it from from that perspective into in terms of how we do certain tasks, why we do tasks the way that we do. And I think if people, only we could answer that question. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very difficult question to to answer. You know, why do we do things a certain way? And you know, we know that every task that we do, if we're reaching for like a cup, it's going to be a little bit different every single time, right? It's yep. not going to be the it's like handwriting exactly. Yes. And it's very difficult. So it's interesting that you bring that up, Miriam. I have a, I have a question uh, that I think will resonate with with some of the audience. You know, low back pain in general is, is very common, especially now as individuals, you know, are in seated postures and I'm really big on like ergonomics and things like that. I like to look at it from like a biomechanics perspective, but how would you explain from, from some of your work, like low back pain, what, what are some things that people can be aware of that, you know, just related to low back pain? Cause it's just so common now. Yeah, exactly. So as you said, besides being very common and all of us, most of us will experience it at some point in our life is that, um, but I'm not an expert in it, to be honest with you, uh, low back pain and even lumbar spine is something very new to me. So mm-hmm. I did my research, the research that I did while I was in the UK was on cervical spine, was on okay. the neck. Okay. Because I thought if I start from top, then it gets easier because I wanted to design an implant. And if you make an implant small, then you can make it bigger easily. But if you make a big one, then it's quite mm-hmm. challenging to make it a small. Mm-hmm. So that was my, that was the idea behind it. So it's very new to me, but one thing that I can say for sure is that um, it's not nothing scientific. It's it, it's a common sense. We need to that's what this tensegrity is on. That if we are experiencing low back pain, it is not just that um, it's a disc degeneration or it's a bone issue. It is everything is connected to everything issue. It could be fascia. Now we know that even with training the skin and going through some physiotherapy that helps the skin to become to its maximum elasticity, we can help pain, which is very amazing. I mean, in most of the research, even now the skin and the soft tissue is completely out. So it's starting to involve those, although we cannot make it scientific because as I said, we are unpredictable and we are using very predictable measurements to come up with a solution and with answers which has helped us a lot, but um, to be more specific about it, we really need to listen to our body and um, try to come up with physiotherapic, like um, uh, some exercises that will help us reduce the pain. Uh, But that's all I can say for now. So hopefully my research will, will give me some more useful answers. Yeah, absolutely. We'd be really curious. And I'm sure the the listeners would be as well, because, you know, low back spinal pain is just, it's so common now, you know, especially, you know, we work, you know, especially now in our virtual environments, right? You know, we're not able to have those day-to-day person-to-person interactions. And so yeah. we're sitting at a desk and at a table now for, for eight yeah, hours, for hours exactly. you know, 
people have always had issues with low back pain. So it'll just be interesting to see how your research evolves from this and some of the things that, that we can take away. Another question that I had, Miriam, you know, we, both of us have engineering backgrounds and one of the things that, you know, I grew up with as, as an engineer, even from, you know, my family background is this whole concept of free body diagrams. And that, yeah. if there's any engineers listening, they'll be very familiar and nodding their heads with that as well. Yeah. One of the things that I guess caught my attention when reading through this article is essentially that, you know, the free body diagrams, uh, FBDs that we use are potentially like unrepresentative of some of the, the true joint torques that occur at like at some of the spinal columns or, or elsewhere. So my question to you is, Miriam, you know, looking at it from, from that perspective, what are some, I guess, alternative methods to, to introduce some of these concepts of like joint torques and things like that in like a, if I were teaching like an undergraduate biomechanic, yeah. like mechanical engineering course, I'd be curious on your thoughts on that. Well, um, I think we need to make it visual mm-hmm. until we don't see it. I mean, one of the issues that we are having with this pandemic right now is that people don't see it, so they don't believe it. A lot of people don't believe it. <laughs> we, need, we have a very simple mind. We need to make things visual for us to, to be able to process it and understand it. But um, let's be honest. I mean, now, it's not that researchers and physicians, they do not want to get proper answers on the questions that they have on the spine or uh, even they like the the assumption that the spine is rigid. It's the fact that we, do, we don't know how and we have no other way to get answers on that. Uh, it, it, it actually is related to the fact that it's complex, it's delicate, so doing human research on it is impossible. So we cannot talk about free body diagrams and show it how it works on the spine really because it's not visible, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you guys right now know how very stand with animals, so I prefer die from back pain than using animal research. So I think the best way to explain that to people is to use computer-based models, what kind of what we are doing right now. Mm-hmm. So um, mimicking the motion in a detailed model that provides us with some joint and real-life features can really take, take us into the next level. And luckily, for example, with a, a software like OpenSIM, we are able to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm personally haven't used OpenSim myself, but I know a lot of engineers, biomechanists use, and I think you bring up a really good point of the, the visualization and the modeling side of things, because it's really easy to, to give like an undergraduate or someone just unfamiliar with biomechanics, like a free body diagram and explain like, Oh, this is the lever arm. This is the force that's being applied down. And to an extent it could be helpful initially but you really don't get the true forces that are acting on a body during a dynamic task with such a, a simplified model. You know, yeah. we do the best that we can to explain to our students, but it'll be interesting to see how some of these computational models evolve, you know, given this pandemic that we're in where a lot of things now are going to be virtual. So if yeah, we exactly. our students be able to interact with some of these virtual environments like like an open sim or or things of that nature like a visual 3d you know things that i use on my biomechanical side i think would really benefit students and they can see as you mentioned and alluded to like real world activities if we can yes. see the spine actually flexing and extending or we can see our knee joint flexing extending during like a landing type of activity i think exactly. that'd be a great way to introduce some of these concepts so uh, there was some really good points that you mentioned there Miriam. Yeah, Miriam. So uh, I know uh, you have an interest in uh, attentional focus. And so 
I want to know your thoughts. Uh, can, you tell, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you think attentional focus may affect spine biomechanics? Well, it's, uh, it's pretty sad because I think all of us have suffered uh, at some point uh, yeah. due to the pandemic. I was in the middle of my focus of attention study, which was about walking, but I had some sensors put on the neck, put on the back, put on the spine. And I was hoping I could see something or even nothing. But that was, that was one of the aims of the study. So um, I, I could not finish that, unfortunately. But what I know for sure is that one paper so far um, uh, studied the effect of the attentional focus on local dynamic stability of the spine during a simple collection extension task. And they reported that changing the focus of attention does not really affect the performance of the spine. And that was the only paper I ever could find on that. Yeah. So I really don't know where we are standing with that since not many research is done on that, but we will see in the future. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I never thought of it. You know, I, I never thought about, like, we know, we know there's been plenty of studies that looked at biomechanics in general, say jump landing, whatever it may be, and attentional focus. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I never heard about the spine, so it's pretty interesting. I think that, I, I mean, yeah. I come from, you know, again, like RG mentioned, like a jump landing perspective, I just don't feel like the spine gets a lot of attention. Again, I'm, I'm looking at it from like a sports medicine, like injury prevention standpoint. And I try to stay up on, on the research as much as I can, but we all talk about like the ACL, we talk about the ACL, the knee and things like that. But I don't think there's a lot of focused attention yet at the moment on like spinal mechanics. Actually, there is not a lot of research on the spine. No, there isn't. So it would be interesting because, you know, I come from a hockey background as well and different sports like that. The prevalence of low back pain is actually really high because like athletes like that are constantly in this bent over position. Same with like field hockey and different sports like that. So it'd be interesting to, to, you know, follow up with you, Miriam, and see, you know, your progress. And that kind of leads me into my next question. You know, we know the COVID pandemic has obviously, you know, halted a lot of research, but prior to, and kind of, you know, as you start transitioning back into a quote unquote normal research environment, what were some things that you were uh, conducting, you know, pre-COVID and what are some plans that you guys have as you start to transition slowly back into that research environment in terms of your studies, your PhD work? Uh, well, I started my research with um, another advisor. So his um, focus is on motor learning, motor control, human mm-hmm. movement, that sort of more general form. Mm-hmm. And we kept talking about this. Fine. Actually, he's the one, Dr. Daniel Russell, he's the one that um, made me familiar with this biotensegrity idea. And what I love about research right now, not back then, you, you kind of look back at yourself and you see someone completely different is that you become familiar with a topic and it gets your attention and you love it and you love to work on it. And then after a while, you realize, thank God I didn't do that because <laughs> there is someone to, to advise you and to tell you what to do. So when I got into biotensegrity idea, we talked a lot about it. And uh, he, he told me just read about it, just do research on it, type about it, whatever you want to do, just try to type it down, read it through, and um, that was the beginning of it for me. And then, um, thankfully, another someone else joined our team, which was a spine specialist. And that's, and I mean, we were in the beginning of a discussion and then this, this pandemic happened. So I didn't do a lot of research. I actually started this position to maybe, because in my engineering degree, I didn't do any human, like, 
um, mm. data collection. And I was hoping I could do that because it's quite interesting. And then this happened and I'm back again at, at computer-based models. But um, uh, what I know other people did in the lab, for example, like uh, a lot of local dynamic stability studies, um, a lot of, uh, I mean, I know one of the students was focusing on the concussion and, and uh, looking at the EMG, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, we had a pretty, pretty good lab. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty sad that it's out of use right now. So what I was using, for example, for the focus of attention was like simply using um, EMG of uh, like putting different sensor on, on the body and uh, using the accelerometry. Uh, information to see how the local dynamic stability is changing the focus of attention. In some of the work that you're doing now is, could you, t- could you tell listeners a little bit more like your modeling and some of the conversations that we had off air with like OpenSim, if you wouldn't mind sharing that as well. Yes, absolutely. So right now the lab is virtual. So as I said, what we are doing, we are learning OpenSim to be more specific. Uh, OpenSim is a free software system if anyone wants to download and use it. It lets us develop models of musculoskeletal structure and create dynamic simulations of the movement. So what we are exactly doing is that we are trying to use a generic model and apply different motions to it and then calculate the various aspects of this spine for us. But I know a lot of people are using it for running, for knee calculations. And uh, one, one thing I would like to add is that because nah, I don't want to... S- sound like, uh, oh, there are not a lot of research going on on the spine. Um, I might actually talk about it earlier, but it's because it is not easy to do research on the spine. We do right. a lot of ACL because we can get answers on that. Mm-hmm. It's not that I, we are the only researchers that want to get <laughs> answer on that. No, a lot of people actually have done amazing works on it. And what we are doing today is based on those information. But getting that further down the road is very challenging because mm-hmm. it is not easy to see what is happening there. Yeah, I bet I, I could imagine how hard it is to to look at the spine and, and stuff like that. Um, Miriam, for our, for for our last sort of question, uh, what is uh, one practical takeaway? Uh, let's say a practitioner can take away from your expertise. I like fish. <laughs> I hope <laughs> that one day we can come up with a better solution for the people that undergo spine surgeries. Uh, because I strongly believe that the current surgical methods that fix one uh, or different segments of the spine will have long-term negative effects on the adjacent segment or neighboring segments of the spine. Uh, so this leads to more surgeries, complications, uh, and pain or life quality. So either by changing the surgical methods, which I was trying to do here in my master's degree, or by providing proper rehabilitation methods, we might be able to eliminate those issues. And right now, by studying the biomechanics of the patients and the healthy subjects, we are taking our first step toward that goal. One other thing I would like to add is that pain is, um, pain is a sign of and undergoing long-term issues. So it is not just that we see it and we have pain. And one thing that I love about this biotensegrity community is that that's what they are trying to get out as their another message, is that you can prevent the pain by correct methods. Because um, a lot of people, they are gaining business out of other people in pain, which is, which is ugly. I mean, I know a lot of good researchers are out there, but one main thing to do is that to get information about how body works on even normal people or even hard workers, whatever, in order to stop people from getting to that point of pain and then coming up with a solution. So I think 
we need to get questions and answers long before that. And as researchers, I'm sure we can do that. We always think we need to come up with bigger solutions for bigger questions, but we can simply start from a very basic point and then get to that point as well. Yeah, I think it's just disseminating the knowledge too, you know, using yeah, exactly, yes. Miriam and spine mechanics and things and just getting information out to, you know, individuals who might be going through low back pain and understanding, you know, why they're going through, you know, exactly. the human body is, you know, all of us can attest to this, that the human body is so immensely complex that from someone who doesn't study intensively human movement science, like we do, they might not understand why, you know, why does my back hurt? Why does my knee hurt? But if we exactly. can our expertise from a research perspective as to say, you know, these are some potential reasons as to why you're in pain in the first place, then they can start asking more centered questions, not only us, but practitioners and their care providers as well. So I think you make really good points as, you know, being able to understand the mechanisms as to why you're in pain, why your back hurts exactly. in the first place can lead to better interventions and outcomes. I yeah. think this. I think this calls for another episode uh, next year when she's. Finished. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, I, I, there is um, I kind of like personal story behind all of this. I re, I, I usually don't share this because it, it's not a happy story. But my brother actually went on, underwent a really huge spine surgery, and due to some accidents and infections and a lot of sad things, he lost um, five of his vertebral bodies, and they replaced Oof. it with completely a full metal. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, he got better. He can he can live his life normally. But the fact that he doesn't know how lucky he is and the things that he does that he shouldn't do. So what I did, for example, is that um, I was doing um, an anatomy course, and I was uh, we were able. They suggested that we do a surgery, our teacher, in order to help us with that. Great, that as you know, anatomy is very difficult. So he, he told us, you can do a surgery. And I decided that I'm going to 3D print my model and put it into one of the bodies. And after doing that, it was very weird. I saw that uh, the cadaver that I was working on, he didn't have any interpretable discs. None. So it was really this time, the spine was a solid body. No motion, nothing. So I called my teacher and he was like, oh my God, I haven't seen anything like it. And we called one of the best anatomists in Virginia, and he came to look at it. And then we found out that just there was a slightest like point in his thoracic spine that had some abnormal curvature. And of course, that was an old person. Mm-hmm. And we learned that by age, when you have an abnormal curvature and you don't train your spine well, that's where you're going to end up. You're going to end up because the discs are going to lose their ability to move they're going to become harder and harder and you actually cannot move your spine very much so I actually explained that to my brother I told him look if you do it because you already have one part of your spine completely solid if you do not train as well that's how you're going to end up and right now I know that he has a he has a person that goes to his house every week to just have it and tell him what to do with his spine so what I'm trying to say is that we need to get those information out there. People yeah. need to see if they do not take care of themselves, what's going to happen to them. And maybe we, 10 of 20 are not going to look at it, but we're going to have some people that are going to look at it. And let's say that's, that's good enough for us for now. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could only imagine. I could only imagine what you know, the spine is, I mean, important across not even age, but sport and, and 
physical therapy. I mean, oh, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Every profession. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's responsible for our posture at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, we navigate in a gravitational plane where we're always fighting gravity. And our spinal health is what keeps our sitting and standing, running, jumping posture, at, you know, at the end of the exactly. day. If your Everything. spinal health is not where it needs to be. It's going to compromise the rest of the body. Yeah. You know, I exactly. look at it. You know, I look at yeah, it. Yeah, you made a very good point, actually. Exactly. I look at it from that perspective. Is we're always, you know, my my PhD advisor says the two forces that we always have to navigate in our life is gravity and friction. For <laughs> what controls human movement at the end of the day, and gravity is such an important component on you know spinal health. So if we don't have that optimal spinal health that fits our needs, it's really going to compromise. Whether it's we're an elite sport athlete or you know, we're a researcher, whatever, it just impacts your quality of life. Spinal health exactly. is extremely important. So thank you yeah. again, for sharing. Of course, of course. Record. Thanks for having me. You know, for being part of the podcast, you know, we've, we've had now you're our eighth PhD student now from all over the place. We've had students from across the overseas and in the UK and the Netherlands and researchers like yourself who were originally from Iran. And we really appreciate, you know, the community that we've been able to develop now with different students and different PhD individuals like yourself who are doing a lot of really neat human movement science things. You know, you're our first individual who's done spine mechanics and modeling the spine and things like that. So we're really appreciative of your, of your time today. Of course. Thank you so much. I also wanted to thank you guys because we are living in a very bizarre timing <laughs> of our lives. I know. I think if last year we were at that, on that workshop, if someone would yeah. have told us this is how we're going to meet next year, because you we were supposed to go to that conference and meet yeah. up and have fun. And right now, look at us. Nothing, but I think yeah. these things is going to actually keep us closer than ever. And thank you so yep. much for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, that was, I think Harjeev would, would agree with me on this. That was part of the reason why we want to start this now. You know, Harjeev and I had these conversations at first about podcasts. You know, we always want to get into the podcast. That's where people are going. You know, that's a hot thing, podcast. But Harjeev and I were talking and, you know, going through the whole COVID situation. We're like, you know, this is a great opportunity now for researchers to share what they're currently doing, PhD students, because it's difficult right now for us to do conferences, obviously. And it's, you know, research in itself has slowed down. You know, that's part of our uh, PhDs is, is to produce research, you know, produce publishable research. And that's, it's slowing down. It's not an efficient process due to circumstances well beyond our control. And so we thought developing this podcast and getting individuals on like yourself is, a, is another medium to share your knowledge. You know, at the end of the day, we're trying to Absolutely. share our knowledge to the community. Yeah. So again, and, then, and then you, and you hit on it. I think at the end of the day, it's to build this massive community network with students. Yeah, I mean, that's great, I, I can I can tell you right now that if I'm doing a more attention stuff 10 years down the line and I'm interested in the spine, who am I going to call? You know, so it's like yeah. we, we have this sort of network that. Or if I have any mechanical issue. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, it's uh, I think this is a perfect platform. And, and like Jason said, we're. Uh, we're so thankful you took some time out uh, for us and uh, we will definitely <clears throat> reach back out to you because one of the things we want to make sure we do is we follow up with, with everyone and, yeah, that would and be see what, see what they're cool. up to, yeah. where, where they're at and, and kind of just, you know, make this into a really fun, uh, fun learning environment. So um, yeah, thanks Miriam. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having thank me. Again, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you guys. You.